Hi, Derek. Thank you so much for making time today on such a short notice to discuss the geopolitical developments that we saw overnight. So, you know, Russia went into Ukraine more forcefully involving Kiev this time around. I remember last time around when Crimea was involved a few years ago, the implications for the financial markets, especially in the U.S., weren't were kind of limited and they weren't as far stretched as, as you know, um, as things could be this time around with uh, with how forcefully Russia has went into Ukraine. So help us understand, um, Derek, what does the current geopolitical scenario between Russia, Ukraine and the other international um, countries mean for financial markets domestically and internationally, for energy prices globally? And do you think would the Fed, would it impact the Fed's decision to hike interest rates in March? A lot of content there. Thank you, Barty, for the the questions. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, Russia has entered Ukrainian territory in a very forceful way, and this is, you know, first and foremost, truly a a huge humanitarian tragedy. It's very sad, uh, but obviously, we do need to discuss the implications of this. And so, let's start with where you started. What is the impact on economies and and markets? And uh, I, I think there are a couple of uh, ways to look at this, um, you know, from a, a strictly uh, cost standpoint, you could put it in terms of with the rise that we've seen in oil prices, how does that translate into uh, the pocketbooks of U.S. consumers? If you look at where oil prices, uh, where oil prices are currently and think that uh, what happens if they stay here? You're talking about a little more than $100 billion annually additional expense that U.S. consumers will have to spend on uh, energy versus what they did uh, last year. Now, that's a lot of money, obviously. Uh, it's uh, not quite 1% of uh, uh, disposable income. It's like 0.6%. But the uh, the thing to remember is consumers still do have a lot of uh, savings on the sidelines. So a lot of consumers will be able to absorb what has happened thus far. And we are in particular worried about the low end of the consumer bucket. Uh, the the bottom quintile of consumers of households have essentially used up all their ex excess savings. And that means that uh, any incremental increases in things like energy prices, food prices, those things that hit the low end disproportionately will just be an added burden uh, to them. So while in aggregate we think that the consumer can weather this, there are segments that are going to to struggle uh, in this environment. But one thing to to keep in mind too is uh, we're talking about 0.6% of uh, disposable income. You know, you're talking about uh, less than a half a percent on on GDP in terms of the impact from consumption. But remember that the U.S. is now a an oil exporter. And that means that even though consumers are impacted by this negatively, the uh, the oil industry uh, benefits from this. If you look at rig counts, uh, rig counts are exploding right now. Uh, drilling is, activity is increasing, and, and that does feed into uh, GDP. So the investment component of GDP is going to go up in this environment, while the consumer consumption component of GDP is going to come off. And so there will be an offset uh, from that investment side. 
Uh, with regards to Europe, uh, this is a, a bigger deal for Europe. Uh, oil prices at this level, coupled with impacts to, to confidence, could mean that we would see GDP impacted by as much as one percentage point. Uh, and the reason I brought up confidence is uh, obviously Europe is much closer, and I'm talking about uh, the euro area, the UK, uh, areas like that, but uh, in particular with the euro, uh, euro area, uh, uh, this one percentage point impact is is uh, partially driven by the confidence vehicle just simply because of the proximity uh, to what is going on. A lot of businesses and consumers see this happening in their backyard. It impacts confidence. And and so it is a, a risk to activity strictly from the confidence impact, let alone the the uh, the actual impact to pocketbooks because of of energy prices. And and with uh, with Europe, we have to worry about natural gas prices too. They get a fair amount of natural gas uh, from Russia, and you are seeing natural gas prices rise uh, pretty dramatically there as well. So uh, a bigger hit to Europe than what we're seeing in the U.S. Uh, you know, in general, thinking about what this means for the uh, the global economy as a whole, I think it really depends on how long this lasts. Uh, and so, if you if you think about, um, you know, you brought up uh, Crimea. Uh, that's one example. We could look at uh, what happened with Georgia. Uh, another example, you know, at times where there was a an incursion that took place. It was very rapid, uh, but then uh, things settled down relatively quickly. This is a much larger incursion than uh, pretty much anything we've seen in Europe since World War II. So I'm not trying to downplay it, but if, if this ends up uh, being a, uh, a conflict that lasts, you know, measured in days or weeks uh, rather than months or even years, those are two dramatically different scenarios. And so I, I think we really need to be uh, paying close attention as to how long this conflict lasts. Uh, the longer the conflict lasts, the more likely we would have supply disruptions. Uh, and supply disruptions would be very uh, uh, damaging to the global economy, and in particular uh, Europe, because that's where they get a lot of, of their energy obviously, but it would impact global energy prices uh, further if that happened. So something that uh, we are watching very carefully, I will say that the the uh, geopolitical experts that I speak to, uh, they all seem to indicate that the whole point of this is uh, Putin wants a regime change in the Ukraine. He doesn't like the fact that the current Ukrainian president is pro-West and anti-Russia. And so he's looking to have him displaced and then replaced with someone that is more favorable towards Putin and, and uh, his Russian agenda. And so if that happens quickly, uh, things could settle down. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's just something that we, we have to, to watch. Uh, so the next few weeks are really going to be key in terms of how this plays out. Now, going to energy prices, the degree to which energy prices continue to rise from here I think is is an open question, and it just goes back to what I was talking about in regards to how long does this last. Uh, you know, if we have these supply disruptions, uh, if if um, the conflict lasts 
to such an extent that we continue to ratchet up sanctions and Russia in turn says, well, I'm cutting off supplies to to Europe or the the conflict lasts for such a length that we have, um, you know, uh, separatists or or maybe I shouldn't say separatists, but uh, a Ukrainian uh, pushback that is such that you have pipelines damaged during the battles. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that uh, uh, this could impact energy prices over the long term. And I think the longer that this lasts, the more likely that that happens. Um, I, I would say, too, though, that it, it's not just energy. Uh, we need to keep in mind that uh, there are a lot of commodities that come out of that region. Russia and the Ukraine produce a decent amount of uh, commodities that are exported globally. And we're talking about multiple commodities, whether it's wheat, corn, uh, metals, Obviously, energy that we've talked about. So the the uh, the impact the longer this takes is uh, uh, going to be greater than just the impact on energy. It's going to be in all of these other areas, which would then have ripple effects to whether it's food inflation, whether it's uh, uh, supply chain issues because you are not able to uh, get the the metals that you need to produce whatever. Uh, good that you're producing, so on and so forth. So so these are issues that we're watching very closely. And unfortunately, as I said, I think it's just uh, something that we need to watch because it's very hard to gauge how long this is going to last. Now, the, the last question that you had about the Fed outlook is is key, and I think the markets are going to, to increasingly focus on this. I would say it's very complicated for the Fed. Uh, we've already seen financial conditions tighten up to this point with the moves in markets. That is something that they will take note of. Uh, the moves in commodities will result in higher inflation. That would be, on the one hand, um, you know, further exacerbate the inflation issue that we have. But on the other hand, many times when commodity prices go up, that is a, a growth headwind and uh, is seen more as a temporary uh, growth shock more than a permanent inflationary shock. Uh, but as I said, the the U.S. is a net exporter of oil, so from a, a growth perspective, just simply seeing oil prices go up isn't necessarily damaging to U.S. growth in aggregate, and I think the Fed obviously recognizes that. I would say that you know, up to this point, what we have seen is not enough to prevent the Fed from moving in March. I still expect them to raise interest rates by 25 basis points in March. Now, if if this uh, conflict is protracted and we see it last for much longer than what many people think, and it ends up having more severe uh, implications for growth in the U.S. and elsewhere as we go forward, the Fed will step in. They will care more about growth than they do about inflation moving higher because of commodity prices. Uh, but I, I think that's probably more of a a back half of 2022 issue rather than them focusing on it here and now. So why don't I uh, stop there? That was a lot of information. Yeah, uh, Derek, that was great. And thank you for sharing. So, you know, just for our listeners, I would like to summarize the three main takeaways for me from here. And please correct me if, if I get any of these wrong. 
So it seems like the points that we uh, we are kind of forecasting or we are assuming or our outlook is more along these lines. So firstly, again, as you just shared, the impact probably on the U.S. growth might be more limited in nature. And there are going to be two segues into it. One is the consumer side because of the prices going up across like energy and other um, commodities like wheat and corn, et cetera. Right. But at the same time, as you're saying, U.S. is now is a net exporter of oil. We might see an increase act, increased activity in the investments in that arena, which might offset that consumer side that will get impacted. So GDP might be in the U.S. domestically will be less impacted versus the Europe where you your outlook is that GDP might get impacted by a percentage point, by 1%. Right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And the second point is the most important point of this whole geopolitical conflict is how long it's going to go on for, because that's going to determine how much will prices across, again, commodities and energy prices, how much will those really get impacted, and ultimately how much they would see back into growth and confidence across Europe and I'm sure across US as well. And finally, I think, yeah, I think that's correct. Right. And finally, to your point about the Fed, our, we are continuing to maintain our outlook of a 25 basis point hike. And like going forward again, as you said, and as I mentioned in my second point, change in the outlook from the Fed would probably depend on how long this conflict lasts for. So yes. we maintain our our view of a 25 basis point hike in March, and then we will watch the markets of what happens and how this whole situation um, plays out over the next few months. But rightfully, as you said in the beginning, and I want to reiterate, I think it's a humanitarian crisis, and it's sad to see what's going on, and I really hope it, it sorts out sooner than later. So Derek, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your thoughts. It is wonderful and I look forward to listening to you again. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. 
Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.